are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Hey everyone, Steve Angel here. Before our episode with Ryan Bunting gets started this week, I had a couple things I wanted to mention to everyone. As many of you know from a recent episode, my wife was recently diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. I've received quite a few emails from listeners showing support, and I truly appreciate each and every one of them. Uh, if you haven't and you've thought about emailing me, please do. Um, it, it really feels good to hear from the listeners. Uh, one of our guests actually also reached out to me, and I must say I'm truly humbled by what Scott Spray is doing for my wife and I. Scott has built a custom special fly rod that he is auctioning with all proceeds going to us to help to help offset uh, unexpected costs and so forth. Um, Scott has posted photos on Facebook, and it is an absolutely gorgeous rod, as all of Scott's rods are. Now, this one is a three-piece, two-weight fiberglass rod. It has single-foot snake guides. It also has a slide band cork seat, and it comes with a rod sock and a rod tube. After seeing the post, another friend of mine, David Johnson, uh, stepped up, and he actually offered a guided full day of fly fishing for two down the beautiful Chattahoochee River this spring. So if you're interested, you can find Scott on Facebook. Um, if you're not friends with Scott, an easy way to go to find him is to go to Traditional Outdoors page on Facebook and look for that post. But don't comment there. Be sure to reach out and contact Scott directly if you want to bid. Um, or you can email him at uh, carpflyfisher at gmail.com and let him know what your bid is. Um, and this all ends on, uh, December 13th. I don't have the exact time in front of me, but, uh, it's running through the 13th of this month. So I wanted to be sure I got it out in front of this week's episode. Now to Scott, David, and everyone that has bid thus far, um, from the bottom of my heart, I thank each and every one of you. Uh, it really means a lot. And with all that said, let's get on to this week's episode, Hiking America with Ryan Bunting. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. As usual, I'm your host, Steve Angel. I got my buddy Nick on the other end of the line. And quite frankly, since the last episode we released, nothing, I really just don't have much to talk about. Uh, you know, things are, uh, if you if you listen to um, the last episode, you'll, you'll know I've kind of got my hands full with some things here at home. So uh, I'm not getting out in the woods or having any exploits. I know Nick's been dealing with COVID and the, the Rona running rampant through his household. So I know, <laughs> I know you haven't gotten out much, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we do want to try to keep, you know, content coming pretty regularly. And I don't know about you, Nick, but I'll be honest. I've been, I've been kind of looking forward to our, our guest tonight. A um, little bit, a little bit different than uh, I guess what, what I would consider our, our normal guests. We're going to, uh, you know, we, we pride ourselves on the show of, of talking about a lot of different topics, you know, in the outdoors. And, and tonight, <clears throat> I don't know that we've had, I don't know that we've had a guest on just, just specifically focused on hiking, which is, is what we've got tonight. Um, and I'll give you a little backstory here before I introduce this gentleman. Um, you know, randomly I'll get, I'll get an email to the podcast from someone that's, that's listened to the show. 
um, that's interested in being on the show for one reason or the other. And, and, you know, we really enjoy when we get those because it's, it's not easy finding, um, guests and, and topics to talk about on a regular basis. And if we don't have guests, you just have to listen to me and Nick talk. And I don't know how much in, entertainment that is, but, um, so I got this email and I'm, I'm looking, looking through it. And, uh, this gentleman is, he, he's got a YouTube channel. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but his, his primary focus in the outdoors is, is on hiking and which is, you know, something that I think, you know, I'm definitely interested in. I got a, a, a lot of friends that, that do a good bit of hiking, mostly on the Appalachian trail, you know, here in the, on the East coast. Um, so it's, it's something I think a lot about and talk to people about, but this email is a little bit different because of some of the things that, uh, the gentleman said about, you know, uh, encountering other outdoorsmen, uh, when he's, when he's out hiking. So anyway, um, our guest tonight is Mr. Ryan Bunting. I hope I said that last name right and didn't goof it up, Ryan, but how are you, sir? And welcome to the show. Doing good. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen, Nick, so much for having me on. And, um, yeah, that was a really cool introduction, but, um, yeah, um, I'm a hiker by trade, but like I said, I wanted to kind of reach out to you guys because I know you guys are really big in the hunting community. And as hiking continues to grow for me, more and more experiences with hunters. So it, I thought this would be a really cool subject to kind of go back and forth on. And I really, I really do think it will be. And, and, you know, I, I will be the first to admit that my encounters with hikers while I'm hunting, and we can talk about that a little bit, have been pretty, pretty infrequent. Um, now that said, I probably encounter, um, several people hiking throughout the course of the year when I'm, when I'm doing other activities, mostly scouting, um, but not so much hunting. And we can talk a little bit about that, but, uh, I know Nick's had, <laughs> Nick's had some encounters. We'll talk about those. I don't think we've ever talked about this one, uh, situation on the show, but it's, it's a good one. Mm-mm. But, uh. You know, I guess before we get into some of that, I know you have a YouTube channel. Uh, I believe it's Hiking America. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh. Um, and I would like out. to hear a little bit more about, you know, how long you've had the how long you've had the YouTube channel going, um, how many videos you've got, what you try to focus on, that kind of thing. But before you do, I know your trail name is Constantine, right? Yes, sir, Constantine. Now tell me where it came from. So it actually came on the Appalachian Trail. I know you had touched base on that. So the AT was my first kind of long distance hike. And so when I started long distance hiking, I was more so upper body. I was big into kind of weightlifting. So my lower body was not good for hiking. And Constantine came from, we were climbing the hills in Georgia, which are notorious for very steep ups and very steep downs on the AT. And my buddy we, that I was hiking with, he's like, have you ever seen the movie Constantine? I'm like, no, 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 I've never, never watched that movie. He's like, you kind of remind me of the main character because in the beginning, on every uphill, I would be like cussing everything I could find. <laughs> and then on every downhill, I'd be praising everything. So he's like, you kind of half good, half evil. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. And it kind of just stuck after that. Um, it never really transitioned anywhere, kind of. The first trail name usually sticks with you the longest, and yeah, it's been Constantine ever since. Wow, that's pretty cool. And I, I wondered if it was related because I know there's a there's a love. You either love that movie or you hate it. I think, and I always liked the movie, um, even though it doesn't follow the you know the same 
storyline really is the comic book and that kind of thing. But I always liked the kind of movie, so I was hoping you were going to say it was actually tied to that movie. I still have never seen that movie. Really? <laughs> I really need to oh, get around man. to watching it. I've had Constantine for five years now, and I've introduced myself. It feels like almost more as Constantine than Ryan in his past five years. <laughs> no, <laughs> I really have to watch that movie. Ryan, can so you... do you, go, I'm sorry, Nick. Do yeah. you know? Go do ahead. you know? Um, are you familiar with the comic book that it's or the, the the comic characters it's based on? So yeah, my buddy that named me it kind of gave me the lowdown and kind of description of what it was about, like the. Yeah, but you've never comic. read the comics. No, sir. No. Then you'll love the movie. I'm sorry, Nick. Go oh. ahead. No, I was going to back you up and just say, so what's the deal with the trail names? Is is that, I don't know anything about it. So is that like a call sign thing, like on a radio or or what? Yeah, it could be related to a call sign. So a lot of hikers, I guess it, I'm not positive on where it grew from, but it kind of was the norm when I stepped foot on trail. And it seems that it's kind of just people out there trying to have a fun way, like, because you're brutalizing yourself almost every day. Like if you're hiking 20 to 30 miles, like you're just so beat down that it's just a fun way to kind of, yeah, have fun. And when you get to town, you can say weird names like zombie feet or keg legs or weird, weird trail names that just, yeah, just are fun. Oh, cool. I wonder if it was something like that. Almost like uh, truck drivers in a way or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually that that's a really good question. I don't know the origin of it. I'm assuming the origin is actually on the AT because the Appalachian Trail has the most people and it's kind of maybe a part of it is separating at least for the first trail your kind of real life from your trail life since you're out there for so long. Mm-hmm. So especially the AT most people will spend anywhere from 4 to 6 months hiking and just purely being in the woods. So Maybe it's a part of a separation that kind of lets the person be a little more who they are, kind of see more freedom out there. I, I, yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. Oh, cool. Yeah, very interesting. So since we went off on a little bit of a tangent there, uh, I'll back back up again. I'll, and again, I'd like to hear you uh, a little bit more about your your YouTube channel, uh, how, how you got started doing that, uh, how long you've been doing it. Um, and just, you know, tell the, tell our listeners a little bit more about what they can expect on your, on your channel. Yeah. So my YouTube channel, um, it's called hike in America and it kind of grew from filming my first through hike, which was back in 2016 of the Appalachian trail. And it kind of grew from just being able to look back at footage and kind of see the experiences that I went through because back then I never thought it would lead to a full lifestyle, which it has become. So it, it kind of just started as a memory thing. And then as it grew, I've been doing more and more lesser known trails. Like this year, the Vancouver Island Trail just got designated a trail in June 2020. And we, my partner and I, were the third and fourth people to through hike it, the first people to document it fully. So now it's become kind of a channel that will let people see these lesser known trail systems that might not even have full maps. So you can kind of see the mistakes that we made and where water sources are big points and the bushwhacking involved <laughs> on a lot of these lesser known trails. So it's kind of evolved into a kind of trail guide. They're very long videos. So it's not for somebody that's just fancied 
to be like, oh, I want to sit down and watch two hours of one segment. It's for somebody that's really wants to get in depth on each trail system. But we're starting to try to consolidate some of that footage into showing people 10 to 14 minute snippets of this is what that trail experience will be like. And I know, like I said, I, I was telling you before we started recording that, you know, I haven't had a chance to look at as many videos as I wanted. I did get a chance to look through a few. Um, mm-hmm. I watched I watched a couple, and I won't say I watched the whole way through. I probably watched <laughs> segments of the um, the series you did around the, I think it's the Ice Age Trail. Yes, um, sir. The funniest one to me was when you uh, crossed a, crossed, you crossed a creek and, found out you actually weren't on the trail after you got wrapped up with stinging nettles. And that's my luck. That's, that, that's, that's what would happen to me. And it's what would happen to Nick if I sent him looking for an old, old uh, logging road, but that's another story. Um, Several. But it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it, it relates, even though I, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time hiking trails, it's still relatable. Um, and I enjoyed watching yeah. them. going to go back and watch more. Just, like I said, I haven't had time. Yeah, because from my point of view, um, you guys would know this more, but hikers and hunters, I mean, to go hunting, you have to go hiking. <laughs> it's it's part of it. So to get into the backcountry, you're going to have to go through these. And once again, this is an assumption that you guys might be able to t- touch on a little bit better. But especially for hunters, you want the off-beaten path and kind of you're going to be doing more bushwhacking. So stinging nettles are probably more abundant for you guys. Well, I will tell you this, um, a, a good friend of mine, and he's actually been on, on the show before too. I know he, he had another, well, actually two friends of mine that have been on, on the show at one point in time, um, have been doing some hiking on the AT recently, just doing, you know, like day hikes, certain segments, that kind of thing. Uh, and before my next Western hunt, I think that's how I'm actually going to try to get in shape for that hunt. The the last Western hunt that I went on in 2018, I pretty much spent the summer um, just doing extended walks with hills, you know, my in my neighborhood, around the local school, um, with a full pack or at least with a pack with you know 60 70 pounds on it, mm-hmm. um, and it it got me in shape, but at the same time it's pretty doggone boring. So I think yeah. the next time I I really try to do that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to coordinate with with Gene and and Crispin, one of the two, and then see if we can work in some some day hikes on the AT. Because I'll be honest, some of the things I was doing, I really think, you know, with a light pack hiking the AT might be a little bit easier. But I do know some of those hills and valleys you're talking about in the in the mountains of North Georgia. They're 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 rugged. They are, and the AT um, is a great proving ground too. I mean, for any breakdown. Because before I got into through hiking, I actually played around in the North Georgia mountains a lot for section hikes and the such. And those mountains are very rugged. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe, is it some Army Ranger School trains in those mountains? It is. I know. Um, and if you hadn't, if you told me about that ahead of time, I'd sit there and thought about it and, and brought the name up. But it's actually, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's, um, I'm not sure if it still is, but it used to be part of the uh, Blue Ridge WMA. It's about 30, okay. 30 to 40 minutes from my house. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I believe they actually train 
I think it's like 10 to 12 miles from Hawk Mountain Shelter, which is very, very close to the AT. The Hawk Mountain Shelter is on the AT, but their training grounds are like right off the AT, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's. I know it's close to the AT, and I know that they um, they did change part of that WMA to where I th- I can't remember now if that's um, if that's still on it, but I think that's part of um, is it Camp Merrill? Um, I know. I, I, I think it is. It's it's been a long time, um, and it's funny because it's funny that you bring that up. Uh, because, like I said, I've never hiked much of the AT, but a few years back, Georgia started doing something a little bit different. A lot of these wildlife management areas are actually part of the Chattahoochee National Forest. Some of them aren't, but uh, hikers were actually using some of the, the WMAs for you know secondary trails, small trails, that kind of thing. It wasn't necessarily part of the Appalachian Trail, mm-hmm. uh, but there's some there's some really good trails, and in fact, one of the um, well, Nick, you've been on it. It's Dawson Forest. The, mm-hmm. the, we were joking about the logging road, but it's that same track where I sent you for the logging road you never found. But, um, <laughs> you know, you remember when you were on that WMA, the trails that were marked, they had the yellow trail and the blue trail, and they use them a lot for, for horses. They have a lot of horse trails. But at the same time, a lot of people actually go up and hike those trails on foot. And what they did a few years ago, what the, the DNR did a few years ago is um, they actually started selling um, wildlife management area passes for people that weren't necessarily hunters. If you <clears throat> if you bought a hunting license or you bought a, a WMA stamp, you paid to actually hunt on that WMA. It was a small fee, but, you know, they, you had to pay it uh, every year. And they, they brought in that um, WMA pass for non-hunters so that you know they, they were help supporting and the the cost to maintain these these hunting lands as well so in that situation you know it it um by 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 means of the dnr it kind of put us all you know put hunters and the hikers kind of in the same on a level playing field uh but they do have they have it built into the laws and um during the the hunting season you can't be on those trails before like 1030 in the morning. Um, oh, wow. so it, yeah, it's really kind of weird that, and that's part of the reason why I say I've never ran into a hiker while I was hunting, but I mm-hmm. have ran into quite a few on those, on those trails on the WMAs during the summer and well, late winter and, and spring and summer when I'm, when I'm out scouting and so forth. Oh, so the regulations are, you are not allowed to start hiking until 1030, like breaking down camp and everything? No, you're not allowed to be on the trails. So okay. most of, and it's really kind of weird. There's, there's, there's some areas where you can camp on these WMAs, but most people, most of the, most of it's treated like day hikes. You know, it's mm-hmm. not where people are really um, camping in most situations. I'm sure there are some that do. Um, but most of these trails that I'm aware of, they're, I don't know, they're probably a mile in length, something like that. Now, um, okay. I know there's there's some on the, uh, what's called the wildcat track of that same WMA where you can walk through some of that for miles and miles. Because what it is, most of them are actually old roadbeds that, oh. for whatever reason, a lot of them are actually tied to uh, prohibition in the moonshining days. But 
the road the road beds are still there these old uh farm roads and and uh backcountry roads for for north georgia and people just turn them into hiking trails oh i would i wanted to touch on that when you were talking about the mystery road that you sent nick to because at least from my experience in out east hiking i've never really hiked on old dirt roads but i'm assuming it's pretty prevalent well, and I gotta get look. I, I give Nick a hard time. This wasn't no dirt road, all right. But but <laughs> here's here, I, so I got to, I've got to, had the opportunity to hunt Michigan a couple of times with Nick, and once I went up there and saw what their I or what they call a logging road, which is typically like a two track that kind of thing. It's a lot yeah, different yeah. than what we call old logging roads. We're talking about logging roads where there was a clear cut forty years ago. And yeah. you can still see where the skitters went through, but if you don't know what you're looking for, you wouldn't you wouldn't notice the ruts in the ground. I mean, it's that. So I give Nick a hard time about it, but it it is two completely different things. Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. A lot of the kind of old two track logging roads I've followed a lot of the time has been out west, but yeah, you could be standing right on top of it, and unless you know you're on it, you yeah, you would never know. So. I want to ask you um, about some of your encounters with hunters, but I've been kind of rambling on with you here for a minute. And I know Nick is dying to get this out. So um, <laughs> Nick, why don't you share, why don't you share with Ryan your, your uh, most memorable encounter with a hiker? I think it was turkey hunting, weren't you? Oh yeah. You well, doing? actually every encounter with a hiker has been turkey hunting. Okay. Um, yeah. And the reason why that is, is when you're hunting, early season like actual not fall turkeys but spring turkeys that's when all the morale hunters are out um yep so now this wasn't a morale hunter uh mushroom but uh this was you know i'm not really sure what he was doing but basically i was on a little private land track that i like to hunt and my actual hunting setup was not far from where i parked like, because nobody hunts turkeys on this property, and they like to actually cross the road um, from the field on the other side. Uh, so what would happen is the hens would come over, then the toms would come over. So after watching this for about, you know, just observe this behavior for some time, I decided to set right there. So I, I was, I literally walked in probably 20 yards um, sat down against a log. I had my shotgun with me that day. Um, probably it's really the only time I've turkey hunted with a shotgun. And, uh, I put some decoys out, not very many. I usually just put a couple hens out there, nice and visible on the top of this hill. Cause when you come in, you're coming in on top of a hill and it slopes down into some, some flats and climbs up into some pines. And on my left side were a couple, uh, I call them finger ridges because it just, it just kind of goes up and down, up and down, up and down mm -hmm. three times. And I was sitting in there and I heard something coming and I knew it wasn't a turkey. And I figured, okay, I know it's not a turkey hunter because nobody's hunting turkeys out here. Um, and then some guy comes in. I heard the car door shut <laughs> and he walks in. And it's this younger bearded guy, uh, probably, I don't know, I would say he was 20, 25. Um, mm -hmm. And he came in with a bunch of recording gear, a bunch of cameras and stuff on a tripod. And I'm like, okay, what is he doing? Well, he walks right past my decoy, not no more than eight yards from my boot. 
So I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, I'm, he's just going to keep moving. So I'm not going to get up and mess around with this. He's clearly going to go somewhere else, you know. So he stops and looks at my decoy and he examines it. <laughs> and I'm like, yep. Well, for any hunter, that would mean I best get out here now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in somebody's setup and I don't know where this guy is. Um, and turkey hunters got to cover up real good because turkeys can see everything. So, uh, so he moved on, you know, he just, but he just kind of walked through my set, walked around the other decoy. And then, you know, to his credit, he peeled off to the left down the finger ridges and, uh, you know, didn't, didn't bother me the rest of the time. So I eventually did have a Tom come in. I had, I had, it was really cool because I had a couple hens that were nesting no more than six feet from me. I mean, I was right in the middle. There's a, there was some sand on the top of this hill, and they were really scratching up that sand, and, and they really liked to, to sit in it. And so I had to sit really, really still, and they didn't, they didn't, they never noticed I was there. And sure enough, those toms came in, and uh, they came in from the opposite direction. So they came in from in front of me, and I was watching them strut in front of me for probably a good thirty minutes, waiting to figure out what I was gonna do. Because I had the hens all over me, and they were really, cl- and they weren't quite close enough to shoot. And I also didn't want to kill a hen, you know. I didn't. You can't kill two birds, you know. So you gotta, you know, it's got to be one bird. And I wanted, you know, I didn't want to nip a hen while I was shooting at the tom. Because the way it was set up, where the toms were slightly downhill, the hens were right in front of me. There was no way I could shoot. Um, so what ended up happening was, they after they kind of that was shortly after fly down. They were kind of moving around. The guy was gone. The tom moved up to the other end of the finger ridge. So it was probably from where that guy went, it was probably 50 yards north from him. So it was on the same ridge, but further down the ridge. So the hens peeled off. The turkey was gone, but I saw where the tom was going. So like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to head this joker off. This is the only chance I got. So I was dressed in a full leafy suit. Actually, it's Steve. It's the suit you gave me. (laughs) Yeah. And, it was kind of, you know, it floods on me a little bit. I'm like six, I'm like six four, two hundred and eighty pounds, so I'm a, I'm a big guy. Um, yeah. I got, <laughs> I, and I have my, so I have that leafy suit on, and I've got my shotgun, and I got the net and everything over my face, big leafy net. So it's basically almost a ghillie suit. So I look like a Sasquatch. <laughs> so I, I get up. You know, and I, and I'm creeping. So I creep, I grab my shotgun and I'm creeping and I, and I get over to the other side and I climb that hill and I would, and there was a little sandy spot on top of the hill, on top of this, one of the finger ridges that had, you know, it's just this open sandy spot and things like to go Mm. there. And I knew that's where the hens were going. And I knew that's where the Tom was going to end up going. And he was coming down that side again, like 40, 50 yards away. And I was going to come up the other side, use the hill to my advantage, and I was going to meet him on top of the hill and shoot him when he crested the top of the hill because it would have been the perfect situation. So mm-hmm. it all went according to his plan. I started creeping down there. I went and I got I caught him at the top of the hill. But as soon as I crested the top of the hill, I saw a hen's head was looking right at me. So that spooked the tom. The tom started to fly up, so I mean, I I wheeled up on that shotgun, you know, and and shot at that that tom, and mm-hmm. I missed it. Well, what I didn't know was that guy was to my left, 
probably no more than 30 yards away. <laughs> so, and he was set up with his tripod filming whatever he was filming. I, maybe it was the turkeys. I still don't know. Huh. In a catcher's stance. So I come busting up this hill with this gun and just open up right there at this turkey. And oh, then he man. just shoot, he falls over. <laughs> he had this like little crouching like stool, right? Like a little hunting stool. He, yeah. he falls over, shoots up, grab, knocks his camera over, grabs his camera, gets up. You know, he's all flustered. And I looked over at him and just waved at him. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's and, a good dude, response for that. And and I yelled, "Turkey season." <laughs> he probably he was went, like, "Yep, yep." He ran he ran uphill to the road and took the road all the way back. I heard him get to his car oh, no. and peel away, just like a movie. Oh, he didn't even stop to speak to you. He didn't even stop uh-huh. speaking. Oh man. <laughs> and it would have been fine, dude. But I was like, "Oh my god, he was right there!" And I mean, to to this day, I still don't know. I I mean, I'm like, is this a student? Is he filming for like a biology class or a natural resources management class? You know, that's immediately what I thought he was doing. But yeah, and I mean, somewhere, somewhere the next day, there was a story in a paper somewhere that <laughs> the big feet in in Michigan were arming themselves. <laughs> oh and dude you could hear it i mean it was just boom i mean it echoed uh, everywhere it totally broke the morning birds are flying all i mean it, it was it was crazy but i yeah, yeah i thought regardless... go ahead oh, sorry <laughs> regardless who you are if you see a six foot four kind of woods type looking thing materialize out at you and shoot a gun <laughs> you're gonna be a little freaked out <laughs> yeah so so ryan tell us about your encounters with <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mean to cut off, cut off Nick. I think he was gonna. No, man, that's pretty much it. The only time, uh, and, and you know, I've ran into a few morale hunters before. They usually they like to drive around more, like out in the Yankee Springs area and Hastings around here. John and I run into them quite a bit. My buddy John, yeah. and usually they just cruise up and down the road. And they jump out and they go down to where they they all have their little morale patches. You know, they know where they are every year, so they they kind of drive slowly and. You know, they've busted a couple a couple hunts up before. Um, honestly, yeah. I've had more encounters with cyclists than I have with hikers. There's a lot of cyclists oh, around wow. here, and they're not supposed to be on the trails during hunting season um, for mm-hmm. safety, but they, they, they bike all year round. And, and th- you know, this year with COVID, with not much to do, there's more people in the woods than there ever has been. But, yeah, oh, man, yeah. I, go, ahead and, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your experiences. Anything like that? Yeah, actually, <laughs> yeah, it, um, not not too similar. Not a ghillie suit and six foot four guy <laughs> materializing, but a gunshot that really really scared me. Um, so this was more kind of my own kind of fault because when you're doing these long distance hikes, if you're doing like thirty thirty plus miles a day, you get really in your own head and it kind of becomes it blends together. So you're still walking, but you're not always listening. So I was in Wisconsin and I didn't even know I was crossing through open uh, hunting land. So this is what I also had been talking to you guys about that I would love to touch on this topic eventually is like kind of the awareness around where the hunting land is. But so I was walking through this area and I'm kind of setting my pace and just really, really cruising and a gunshot goes off literally right next to my ear. 
And I look up and stop, and literally three feet to my right was this guy shooting up into a tree to try to get, it looked like a ptarmigan or something. So all of a sudden, (laughs) I'm just in my pace, and a gun just echoes right next to my ear. And that really freaked me out. But then I just stopped and started talking to him, and I'm like, oh, yeah, so I guess this is hunting land. And he kind of just brought me through that this was the hunting season in that specific chunk of forest in that area. But a lot of my hunting stories aren't nearly as impressive as that. More so they're in out like out west. A lot of my hunting stories aren't really from out east because a lot of the BLM land out west, um, people will be hunting antelope and be not antelope, be hunting uh, two prong and hunting a lot of that type of stuff. So it's really open expanses and you hear a lot of gun crackle and gunfire through there, but not many like up close and personal hunting experiences. So a couple of, a couple of things there, Ryan, and I do want to, don't let me stray away from your, the one question that you had included in your, your notes you sent over to me about identifying hunting land. Um, the one thing I will tell you that, um, I think as a, as a hiker, you should keep in mind if you, and you may have already thought about this is the average big game hunter, um, mm-hmm. is probably going to be stationary and as, as close to motionless as possible, whether they're, whether they're on the ground, whether they're in a, you know, here in the East, we hunt a lot with, you know, tree stands. Um, even if they're, if they're still hunting, if you know what that is, but, um, they're, you know, hunters for the most part, unless they're, unless they're traveling from one place to another, they're not going to be moving, but you are. So nine times out of 10, they're going to see you before you ever see them. If you see them at all, it would probably yeah. scare you to realize how many hunters you've probably walked by and never even knew they were there. Um, in those areas where the land overlaps, right? Um, as far as yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, and then I'll, I'll I'm gonna get to your second yeah. point. Yeah, you can kind of with that land. So a lot of the land that is open and accessible for hunting for at least these long distance trails. I know the shorter hikes that you guys were talking about, like Dawson Creek, it's like mostly specified on hunting. But the land that these long distance trails cross through, they are very good about announcing that. It's just sometimes you get so sucked into your own head that. You could be looking at a sign and just be blowing right by it, and then all of a sudden you're in hunting land. So I kind of went off on a tangent there, but I'm sorry. No, no, that's quite all right. I'll give I'll give yeah. you uh, another example, because um, you seemed a bit shocked that you know they would close the trails uh, before 10:30. But um, mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of years, I hunted a um, there's a, a barrier reef island uh, on the coast of Georgia, just almost right at the very southern point. In fact, when you're looking at it on a map, you can see the the uh, state boundary in the water uh, for the state of Florida. Oh, wow. But it's, um, so it's called Cumberland Island. It's it's known for having wild horses on the island and a lot of yes, history and so it. forth. Well, there's a lot of trails on that. In fact, there is no, there the, the only people that can use vehicles on the island or the, the National Park uh, Service and on one tip of the island, there's still people that actually own. So the way that island is set up now, um, families that that 
on land on the island, which right now is just the northern tip of the island, they have like lifetime rights. Um, but basically, they can't sell it. If if they decide to 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 let go of the land, it goes to the state as part of a national park. Mm. Um, but there's there's trails that crisscross all over this island. But you just you can use bikes on some of it, but most of it you're walking. And um, when when they have these what they call managed hunts, they have hunts. Uh, I think there's three a year. One's bow only, and then they have a couple of. Uh, primitive weapon hunts where you can hunt with a bow or, or black powder. Uh, and they actually, even on the, even on the Atlantic side of the Island where it's just facing the Atlantic ocean, they actually go and put signs up all along the beaches. Um, because some people actually, you know, take watercraft and beach it and then get out and walk some of these trails. And they put up signs saying that the trails are closed due to that, that hunt. Mm. So some, I guess it's different. Some States. I mean, I know what you're talking about out West where some of these trails cross and it's just, you know, massive expanses of, of land. But to get to your question, um, do you, do you keep or maintain or, or keep a GPS when you're out on some of these longer hikes or, or do you just use compass and, and trail maps? So, yes, sir, I do. I use a Garmin InReach, and that kind of pings the location. It's more so for the remote trails, but my go-to is a compass and paper maps because I like being able to read the land and not have to rely on the GPS. But I do, yeah, short answer, short answer is I do use GPS. Uh, first thing, don't call me sir. You do that, and I turn around and look for my dad behind me. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's, but a habit, uh, it's a habit just built into me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. Um, but I get what you're saying. Uh, the, the, the batteries don't run out on those maps, um, mm-hmm. or your compass. But the yeah. only thing I will say is, is either you're, you know, with a cell phone now, um, they're very, very cheap options. And then with GPS, there's options as well for actually being able to have not only the topo maps, and obviously I'm not talking about using this for all of your navigation, but, um, you can get maps that have the, um, pretty they keep them pretty up to date that show the um the public land boundaries with regards to hunting areas um, oh yes sir and i've i've seen many of the oh i'm sorry <laughs> i've seen I've that's seen okay many now of those. you're now you're gonna be <laughs> conscious of it <laughs> yeah I, i've seen many of those maps and i have those all downloaded for all of uh, the long distance hikes for these other lesser known trails mm-hmm. but this would kind of be this would be a specific hiking kind of point and it's kind of a lot of controversy in the hiking community right now with this is that there's this one big map system and big trail guide that hikers use and it becomes so mentally kind of freeing not a lot of hikers find themselves guilty of this and as you can tell i found myself guilty of this as well is that you have this map and it's so handy and so easy to read that sometimes you'll just go off that day by miles and you can pass through a 10 mile wide uh, piece of land and not even know that piece of land that you cross through. And this is, yeah, this is a huge kind of controversy in the hiking community around this map system. So I don't want to get into it too much with you guys. because It's based on hikers, but it does tie into hunting as well, because right now a lot of the talk is how do people get away from that? Because with how easy the specific, kind of map and you were talking about your phone and how easy this map is to read on your phone 
it's literally just a red line and it has icons that will tell you a water source it will tell you um, how long to the top of that climb and a lot of the time yeah hikers will just say okay i have 15 20 more miles to go today and they will look at those icons and not even look at their the land they're crossing through and like i said i've been guilty of that as well but i've been really having to pull myself out of that because that's what got trained into me back in 2017 and 18 when i almost solely relied on those maps but it's something that the yeah hiking community has a lot to deal with and kind of change the change the thought process around that so just a lack of awareness of where people, where they are just going from, yeah. so just going from point A to point B and not really knowing what's in between. Is yeah. That... So I'm not trying to generalize all hikers that they do that. Like it's, it's going to fluctuate when you're on a hike for six months. So like some days you just might be very mentally tired and you might just pass through that land. So say you're in the desert and you've been hiking desert for about three weeks and you wake up one morning and you know town's going to come up that next day to resupply. So you just want to bounce out miles. You want to be able to push 30 miles. So you're going to check maybe your maps once or twice and know you're on trail and then just go the miles and maybe not check your maps again. And if you do, you might not even check and read that that land is right there. But this is for the bigger known trails. Like these map systems, I don't really want to say the company name unless you guys wanted me to, but these map systems for these bigger trails are built for very ease of access and built for that kind of hiker mentality to shift of I'm going to just cover miles today and not really get to know the land around me. And yeah, it's, it's a big, big talking point in the hiking community right now. All right. And it, it, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't even cut you off. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I also, yeah, wanted to bring up with you guys because this ties directly into hunting land because as hikers we should be aware of every single part piece of land that we cross through even if we're doing multiple big mile days we should know okay there's a line here on our map system we need to study this more at night and know okay we're going to have five or six miles that we're going to be caught crossing through active hunting land and then we're going to go back to uh, kind of back back country wilderness where hunting is not allowed so yeah, it's something that kind of ties directly into your guys' community as well. Okay, so a couple things. One, help me remember to come back to the the responsibility aspect of what you're talking about, at least from my yeah. from my perspective. Um, my yes. my my opinion. So controversial. Yeah, my my humble opinion. But but when you're talking about so a couple of things, I want to get some context around. When you're talking about mm. these 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 big hikes where you're you know, you're pushing twenty miles, thirty miles, whatever that may be. Is that typically using a defined trail or are you striking out and going from point A to point B? Forget, so, forget about trails. Maybe you're, you know, you're, you're, you've, you've picked out a landmark or you've picked out a backstop and you're just going to walk until you hit that, that handrail. Yeah. So the big three that kind of, you guys even, um, you guys say the AT, you guys have been on the Appalachian Trail. The bit, it's called the Big Three. So it's called the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and the Continental Divide Trail. Mm -hmm. And the AT is out east, and the PCT and CDT are both out west. And those trails are, the AT is 2,200 miles long, PCT is 2,600 miles long, 
And then the CDT, depending on the routes you take, are 2,700 to 3,100. So with the navigation, you're saying that map system that I was talking about is has like taken over those trail systems. It used to be you're packing out paper maps. And when I was doing my AT and PCT hike, I still had the paper maps. But that's when this kind of system started overtaking the hiking community. So you don't, it's a very well beaten down path on the AT, beautifully well beaten down. I mean, you don't really even need maps. And I always carry backup maps because it's just smart to have, but you really could follow that trail. And there's blazes everywhere, white blazes on the trees that show you the way. And then on the PCT, you're going to really need navigation skills, especially for snow travel and the high Sierras. Um, But besides that, the JMT is really well traveled as well, which is the JMT is the John Muir Trail. It coincides with the Pacific Crest Trail. And it's really well traveled through the high Sierras. So you could also know where you're going. And then the CDT is the most remote out of those. And that one, you still have that big map system, but you do need a lot of navigation and route finding. And then the trails that especially I did this year and last year that this map system doesn't use at all. It's sometimes you're in no trail whatsoever for multiple days and you do have to backstop and kind of dead reckon and read the land and look at your topo maps and be like, okay, so where it wants me to go is over this pass. How do I get there? Yeah. Cause that's, and that's the part understanding what you're saying with regards to I've and I haven't seen any of the trails out west, but I have I have been on parts of the Appalachian Trail and um, mm-hmm. you know unless you're unless you're just really talented and and half blind, you're going to have a hard time getting lost. Yes, sir. Uh, and, and not to say people don't get lost; no, it's just white blazes are everywhere. Right, right. Um, but where I'm going with this, and I think you'll understand what I'm saying. It it and I don't want to generalize. But in my mind, when I'm hearing you talk about this and you're talking about 20 to 30 miles in a day and you're just pushing to get from, you know, from from where you're currently at to this next marker or whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Part of me and again, I'm not trying to generalize, Ryan, so we can talk through this, but part of me is oh, going, what's the point? And, and yeah. let me let me let me let me explain that. I do some of the same thing when I'm hunting, like if, if I know I'm going to be hunting in a specific area and I park my truck at, at 4am and I got to get two miles back in, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be quiet and I'm not like running, but I'm not, I'm not really doing anything, but my, my focus is to get to that point, but then I'm going to spend the day there. Right. Yes. And like when, um, hunting out West in 2018, me and, and Tom, who's, sometimes a, a co-host on the show and we've we've done quite a few hunts together um but we would we would have a general idea where we're going and we would again we would pick out a landmark you know, we had one specific mountain that we used to navigate for a few days because it was like the most obvious point mm-hmm. anywhere and you could use it as a as a pretty much for a handrail it wasn't like a stream or something but you know what i'm getting at but we yeah. as we're walking through this we're taking in everything and yes. that's the part when I'm saying I'm probably generalizing that I don't, I don't understand or get the point. I just, it seems like you're just, you're putting forth a lot of work to get from one point to the other, but are you really taking the time to, 
take it all in, or maybe it's just not that. Maybe that's not the goal. I, I don't. I'm, I I guess I'm ignorant to that. Well, so I could unpack that at least from my opinion and the growth as a hiker from what I've seen. Um, it it would be hard to generalize the entire hiking community within that because a lot of hikers that do these long trails that don't have a time constraint for weather windows, like the AT doesn't have a big weather window. Right. So you, it opens up the freedom to sit back and do 15 to 20 mile days. And so that's a beautiful way to hike and you do get to see everything and really take it all in. But as, and this is once again, personal opinion, but what I've seen as you grow as a hiker and you do these longer trails more consistently if you're moving all day it is kind of almost impossible not to do 20 to 30 miles on good terrain so it's not like you're trying to just run it out it's just what you found that you really enjoy because you get to see that vastness and see that area in a walking pace so it's not like you're running down the trail or you're just trying to push to get there it's that's just what you found naturally came to you as you've continued to hike and it's the way that you're enjoying it. And yeah, there's such variations of what a hiking a long distance trail looks like that to unpack that question would be, it would be so many preferences. Like I've had friends that have taken eight months to do the Appalachian trail. I personally took six months, which is still a longer time than most people, because like you said, when I first started long distance hiking, my thought process was there's kind of a saying out there that says last one to Katahdin wins, which was the last mountain on the AT Mm -hmm. because last one to Katahdin means you enjoyed it the most. You really had the best experience out there. You got to soak in every area you passed through. And I still hold that kind of credo. Like even though there's not Katahdins on other trail systems, it's not really the last one. It's like, what you find that you really enjoy and you still get to see all this landscape and still get to be a part of kind of that wilderness experience. But it's just, yeah, as, as you grow as a hiker, it would be, you would have, you would have to like cut yourself off each day. And we've done this, like there's been multiple days on some of these long distance trails that we've got into a beautiful lake and we've done, maybe 15 miles for the day and it's like noon or one o'clock and we're like you know what we don't have to do any more miles like we can just hang out here and kind of really swim in the lake take it in and be a part of this wilderness experience but then you do have to balance on that that those smaller days build in not only your food resupply but it also builds in these uh, long distance trails have very tight weather windows because you're traveling so far and you're usually going south to north or north to south. So if you don't hit those weather windows, you wouldn't be able to complete that hike. So it's it's a tough question to unpack because there's so much around how a hiker enjoys their hike. Because there are, there are people I've also ran into that, like, I'm not the fastest hiker. I, I, I enjoy consistent, like hovering around 30s, a little bit below, a little bit above. And I've done 40 mile days, but that's when I find what you were talking on, that there's like not really enjoyment in it. There's enjoyment in the physical aspect, but you could be doing that on a road or you could be doing that anywhere else. So 
but I've also ran into hikers that have done consistent 40s and tough terrain, and that's where they find their enjoyment. They still say they see everything, but it's a different context of seeing everything. They see everything through the eyes of somebody that's really pushing through the trail. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I could keep going on the subject. It, it's a it's a lot to unpack with that question. And and I can definitely sense that. I'm gonna give Nick. I'm gonna give you a chance to jump in here too, because you probably thought of something you'd like to say, and I just keep rambling. But I'm just um, amazed that somebody could walk 40 miles in one day. I can't even walk <laughs> two miles to the other side of Cumberland Island, let alone. <laughs> it, was four, it, was, I mean, it was four miles. Give yourself some credit. Okay. All right. uh, but also those 40. It's that would be on easier terrain. Like you would have a couple mountain passes that day, but it fluctuates so much. So like there was one day that we did, we hiked for 15 hours and we did seven miles because the post holing in the snow was so intense. Like it, it fluctuates too, but you can, you can generally consistently hold around 30 if you're moving all day. You can, uh, Nick and I probably not so much, but, but the, the, and, and, you know, I said, I didn't want to generalize and, and, and I'll, I'll compare a little bit, I think, because part of this, I think is generally just a mindset. Um, and what you're looking, I mean, what you're looking to get out of the experience, it's different for everybody. Right. And this is Mm -hmm. not in any way saying one person's wrong. And I, I, I get there, there's, you know, there's different, um, experiences that everybody has that makes situations or, or time spent in the outdoor special. But if I look at, uh, and again, I'll, I'll still go back to that 2018 hunt. Um, and we did, we did a hunt in 2016 that was in some way similar, but we weren't in 2018. We were, we were, once we left the vehicle on Saturday morning, Friday, yeah, Saturday morning, I mean, we were we were on our own until the end of the week for all intents and purposes. Um, mm-hmm. But the things that we, you know, we, I think one of the one of the most enjoyable aspects of that kind of environment to me, and a lot of the things that I do when I'm in the outdoors, whether I'm hunting or fishing or fly fishing, is being in a spot and looking around and going. I wonder if anybody else has ever stood in this exact spot yes um and and you know out west we found we found old abandoned mine shafts that had been you know blasted and filled back in you know a lot of them actually where they would uh they would basically go in and and bore into the ground and see what kind of material they found and if they didn't find anything they would just you know throw a charge off and fill it up um we we ran across areas on streams that still had, um, and I can't remember what these things were called, but they were basically, it was like, um, uh, log formations or rough hewn, uh, logs that they had used to build eddies in the streams for, uh, floating timber down. Mm. Um, you know, old, um, markers for old wagon, um, stagecoach trails i mean just stuff like that that you know i and i don't know that you don't run across things like that on a on a uh, a documented trail but again part of that what appeals to me is getting off of that trail not not having a trail not having a a specific path i have to follow um but in all fairness i've never done the i've, I've like i said at the start of this i've never done the hiking for the purpose of hiking if I ever get around to try it, I may find I like it, and then I'm in, then I'm in trouble again because I think one more hobby and my wife's gonna, 
uh, disown me. But um, <laughs> it, it, like I said, I think it's just it's it's definitely it's like everything else we talk about here. Different, different on the podcast. Different, um, different things appeal to different people in the outdoors. Um, yeah. Nick, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a chance to talk, buddy. I'm just uh, I'm fascinated by the politics of any community. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean, you know, Steve and I on this show all the time, you know, and then off the show talk about this all the time, that there are distinct differences between the way that a certain group of people hunt and a certain group of people hunt a different way. Like there's there's the yeah. there's the means to an end hunters, you know, who who really just, you know, they want to get out there. They want to get that deer. They want to make sure they get that harvest, you know, whatever it is. And they're going to they're going to do what they need to do to get it. And then the grocery getters, so to speak. And then there's the, uh, then there's the people who are kind of more like me, who really the, the ends, I I don't really care too much about that. I'm kind of, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of out there just to enjoy everything and, and hunt an experience. You know, that's one of the things we always say on here is hunt the experience. And that's, that's me in a nutshell. So I love that saying. Yeah. What really cool. So what I'm kind of, what I'm asking you, I guess, this long winded question is, is, is that what I'm understanding kind of what you got going on in, in that community too? Is it, is it the people who are like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to get 40 miles today. I'm going to be the first one at the end of this trail and I'm going to see how fast I can do it. And I'm going to use this map system because that gets me from point A to B. And I really don't care what I cross. Cause I'm just going to do it as fast as I can trails, you know, be damned, whatever. And, or, and then there's the people who are like, well, what can I do if I stay, here an extra couple of days because I love it. That means I'm going to have to refill here and doing all those calculations, and I'm going to see as much scenery as possible. So is is that kind of what I'm sensing? Is kind of goes on. And then the type like me that's just sitting there going, "Man, I hope I can make it over this next ridge." <laughs> <laughs> I'm that person sometimes as well. <laughs> I didn't factor the noobs into it either. <laughs> hey, I, I still have that feeling all the time, but um, yeah. I, like just like you i'm really fascinated by the politics of how one community can have such drastic kind of different mindsets around the same activity and yeah so it's kind of our well my personal growth as a hiker i mean i used to see that all the time on the appalachian trail which was my first hike back in 2016 and i used to see people blowing by me on trail like just putting me in the dust and I would think to myself, I'm like, there's no way they're enjoying this. Like, there's no way they're seeing what I'm seeing. There's no way that they're really getting to take in the nature. And it doesn't look like they're enjoying it at all. It doesn't look like they're going to take a break at this water source and see how this spring is being fed and kind of really look at the little intricacies of the woods around them. And that's, it's just such a balance. Um, There's people that are on the extreme end of that spectrum and like the person that would put me in the dust they there there's a movement right now in the hiking community called fkts and i don't know if you guys have heard of it but it's like fastest known times and people are just going out there purely to run it out and then you go to the other extreme end and people go out there to these long distance trails and they don't care if they finish they they go out there they'll hike for a few months and they're like i love that experience and then I like to think that both my partner and I kind of fall in the middle. Like we really enjoy the high mile days, but then we also really enjoy the days that we'll stop like before noon and we'll find a spot that is just epically beautiful and be like, we want to take this in and 
I actually have a growing list of kind of areas on these long distance trails where we had to do high mile days for different reasons or just because that's where our pace was that we kind of moved through very quickly and we saw it for what it was in that moment. But I still have a growing list of these areas that I want to go back to and spend more time, like Steve said, kind of like going off the beaten path and being able to explore those old mine shafts if they're there and kind of see the area outside of the realm of a corridor of a trail. So it's there's such a yeah, there's such a spectrum of where people fall within that. It's kind of like what, you know, I always think of the saying, like, doesn't you, do you, do you hear, well, that ain't hiking much, you know, (laughs) (laughs) well, that ain't bow hunting. (laughs) And it's amazing. That's a similarity, like between our both communities that are doing the same thing, but for some reason, one person's way is better. One person's way is worse. It's, it's so weird. It's so interesting to me. Well, we got the fitness thing in in bow hunting too. Like, I mean, I'm sure that some of those hikers are like, this is a, I mean, fitness fitness whole donut in my mouth is what happens with a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) The the, the, the whole, uh, the whole idea of, you know, this is a, this is a, a testament to how in shape I am. You know, I'm training Mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, might do CrossFit every day or something. And I'm like, I'm going to go, you know, we're going to see how fast I can knock this thing out. So later I can say, man, I did that, you know, and this, and then there's, you know, I mean, we get that, we, we get the same thing in the hunting community really. I mean, they're, you know, fitness is a big thing in the hunting community too. I mean, there's, there's that whole element. So I always wondered if there was that element to hiking because i always thought yeah somebody's pr- there's got to be people who are just hardcore powering through it and oh, yeah. yeah and i guess i just never until you started talking about it never thought about it before to me hiking just like walking yeah and, and those people <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's what i thought of it too i mean there's there was a moment when i came off the appalachian trail and i stopped trying to describe to people like what that hike was because you tell people you're hiking 2,200 miles and the realm of that, if they pick, if they conceptualize 2,200 miles, they're like, Oh, that's a very long distance. But then they don't conceptualize what that is. Like they could picture a bike path around a lake, but they don't expand it for that's what you're doing for 2000 or in their head, they're thinking that's 2,200 miles. It's, it's so different. And yeah, it's, hmm. Yeah, so for a while I would I would just be like, yeah, we we went out on a hike, we we did this, and it would kind of have to draw an endpoint because you kind of see, eventually there would be no realization of what that what that meant, and I bet you guys see that the same too with hunters, and that's why I love having these conversations with you guys. Like when you're talking to people that aren't as in depth in the hunting community, like the little nuances of what goes on out there the average not the average person but the person that's not part of that community can't really understand and that's really why i love yeah talking with you guys well and i i I know you and i really want us to get this in i know there was one there was one topic or question or whatever you want to call it that you brought up that i really want to have time to 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 talk through that the only but i do want to go back to just one thing so i don't i don't forget it um, and one of those was about, you know, you were, you were talking about, you, you know, you may just be, um, uh, pushing through and not really being conscious of, of where you're at. Um, mm. and the only thing I would say to that is, uh, I think each of us, 
that spend time in the outdoors, especially when it comes to using public lands, whether it's whether it's a national forest, whether it's a, a wildlife management area, or whether it's a trail. Um, you know, I think one of the things that gives any of our outdoor activities a black eye quicker than anything is not respect being respectful of boundaries. So with that being said, I would just say that I am a strong believer that it is everyone that spends everyone that spends time in the outdoors. It is one of their key responsibilities to at least know where they are, where the general area is. They are look, everybody's going to get turned around and, and make a mistake. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just, you know, throwing caution to the wind and saying, this is all just as much mine as it is everybody else's because that's just not true. Um, When it comes to the public lands, yeah, I'll give you a buy there, but um, private land is private land for a reason. And, you know, you, you have to look at all the dynamics there. I mean, um, whether it's that individual or that individual's family, somebody has put probably a lot of blood, sweat and tears into um, owning and maintaining that they're, you know, they're paying property taxes, who knows what other expenses they have associated with that. And, you know, people should be respectful of that. Um, yes. So, you know, that I just wanted to make sure I kind of, I, I, I did want to make sure I get that out because I do think it's something that gets lost today that 20 years ago, 30 years ago was a completely different dynamic because I've been on both sides. Um, and I just, you know, over the years I've seen there's been, a, it's just gotten to where there's a lot less um, concern about it. And people, as a rule, I think a lot of people are a bit more callous when it comes to, you know, I, unless there's a, if they don't see a posted sign, they just assume they're welcome. Yes, yes sir. And I did want to, like, I might have described this at, at least in real hiker terms. So, yeah, for when I said not knowing where hikers were, it was more so of not knowing where they are on the trail system. So they're still on that designated trail. Understood. So uh, okay. they would they wouldn't be going through private property, and if there was an easement through private property, there would they would know about it. So when I was saying not knowing where they are, it wasn't like oh I'm just here. I have no idea what what's around me. It's like oh I'm on mile ten still on this trail system and it's putting me through this type of land but they would know if there's that private property or that type of stuff i i I don't know if i put that correctly i might have no i probably misunderstood it a little bit ryan in all honesty Mm. but at the same time i will still say and i think this is how the the context got started was with regards to you know whether or not you were crossing into areas that maybe there was a an active hunt going on or it was an open uh, oh, hunting yeah. season, that kind of thing. But it, it still goes to the same thing. Yeah. Um, you know, the, even though the individual that's hiking is, is out there doing one activity and the hunter is, is doing another. And I will be the first to say that in, in almost no circumstance, do I believe that a accidental shooting can be justified um, I think that's one of those things where somebody with their hand on a, uh, and I'll say a trigger metaphorically speaking, um, they made a mistake and, you know, that's not something, you know, somebody like Nick and I, that you know, all we hunt with is, is for all intents and purposes, 
primitive archery gear. We're we're not shooting at, at moving objects two hundred yards away. We're, I mean, we're we're mm. if we take a shot at an animal, it's under sixty feet in most situations. It's close, but you know, somebody shooting at movement um, with a rifle is a different story, and it happens all too often. And while they definitely have some responsibility there, I would say that the person that's hiking has some uh, has some responsibility to know that they are in an area where that kind of activity is going on. Um, yes. Yeah, and I, I I do take full responsibility for that. That's why I wanted to say here as well, like I was guilty of sometimes not doing those map systems as well, but it was a lot of what the hiking community is moving towards. They're moving away from getting sucked into that and not having that awareness. And yeah, I wanted to be the first one to also say, yeah, it's, it is the individual's responsibility to know where they are at. Yeah. Kind of know where they're going, know where they're going through and be aware of all their surroundings. Gotcha. Well, I do. And I know where I think we've, we've crept by an hour a little bit, and this is one topic that I, I knew you, you wanted to really get in the show. And I think both Nick and I kind of wanted to, to partake in the discussion. So I'm going to let you kind of wrap up the last talking point we've got, um, Ryan, and yeah. just fire away. Yeah, so, um, yeah, there's so much to unpack between these two communities, but this is something that I've personally been very curious about because I have very small amounts of knowledge around your guys' community and kind of I know there's a lot of respect around the animals and respect around the hunt, and I haven't ran into this situation personally, but as – I continue to do more and more of these kind of remote and lesser known trails. I've noticed I've been running into hunters more frequently. And so kind of one of the questions I've had, and this was actually from listening to one of your episodes that really kind of like got cemented in my head was that if a hiker comes up on, say you guys had just had a recent um, kill, if that, if that is even the kind of right, right term for it of an animal what would be the most appropriate thing for a hiker to kind of do in that instance as because i i have i would have no idea what to do in that instance so kind of yeah i would i would just be very curious to hear your guys opinions on that well i'm gonna nick i'm gonna let you go first and and ryan so you know i mean i the politically correct term for the last 20 years has been harvest but Um, I'm not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me either way. I would tell you that animal is living. That animal is no longer living. That is a kill. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people, a lot of times the word harvest is used simply because it's less offensive to some, but you're fine with me. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it's kill is just fine. But Nick, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you jump in first here. I mean, after the fact, I'd, I'm not really going to have a problem with it. Um, <laughs> I'd have more of a problem if you walked right in front of me right during prime time. That would be that, would, <laughs> you know, downwind or whatever you're doing. Uh, but I mean, you know, if you were going to come up, if you're coming up on somebody who's already who's already killed an animal and they they're dressing it or whatever they're doing, I mean, just hey, congratulations. You know, they're going to be amped up. Mm-hmm. You know that. You know, congratulations. Uh. You know, that's, that's a great deer or whatever that is. Um, and yeah, I mean, 
now if you wanted to if you wanted to ask them if he if they needed any help getting it out of there you know that'd probably go a long way but if you're <laughs> but if, but if you're hiking i mean i don't know if you want to spend it's going to take a little time to backtrack or whatever you're doing to go you know get that back to that person's vehicle so mm-hmm. i guess it depends on how far back they are but yeah man that's that's pretty much the two things i would say is congratulations can i give you a hand otherwise okay. otherwise hey great deer you know yeah uh, so it's it's not more so you want us to kind of respect the moment and kind of just pass through and acknowledge it's you would prefer talking around it too uh oh yeah you're not gonna well me personally you're not gonna bother me by talking to me i'm probably gonna want to talk to okay. somebody because i'm gonna be stoked <laughs> <laughs> okay that's my personality yeah. as well okay i mean some people might not i mean i don't know what do you yeah. think steve so as as usual, I will probably go deeper with this than that, Nick. But that's kind of my mo. So um, I I will go back to something that you said earlier, Ryan, and I think it's going to. And Nick just touched on it a little bit. I think it's going to be one of those it depends kind of moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say that from both sides. So let's let's first approach it from the from the hunter side. Um. And I'm kind of like I'm kind of like Nick in some ways. It 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 would depend for me what the situation was around that particular hunt, and obviously you're not going to know that. But I'll give you a few. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example or two. Um, I have definitely taken some animals over the years that, for one reason or another, meant more to me at that moment than others. Um, and I think it's one of those situations where you know a non-hunter is probably not going to understand it and even know what's going on. But, you know, if, if, if I'm in, if I'm in deep thought or, or maybe even, I may be even having a, a, a silent prayer to myself or, um, mm-hmm. I know my, I mentioned Tom who's hunted with me before. I know of a situation he was in a few years ago where, um, he had taken a, a wild hog. And I mean, this is, and even a lot of hunters would say, well, it's just a pig, but that certain situation meant a great deal to Tom. And he was having a moment of reflection and somebody took his picture and he didn't even know about it until a few days later. And I know he almost felt like his, his, his moment had been violated by somebody taking that picture. And after he thought about it a bit, he said, comes to terms with it and said, you know, I get it. No big deal. But so it's not always going to be the same, even from person to person or situation to situation. But here's what I will tell you. If someone walked up to me and said, congratulations, um, that's really cool. Or um, I'd like to know more about, you know, what just happened here? I'm not a hunter, but I'd love for you to tell me more about it. Or maybe it even gets more um, philosophical than that of maybe it's a question about, you know, what drives you to hunt? Um, it could be the next point. You know, what's next? Now, you, now, you, now you've got this animal on the ground. What do you do? I mean, I think for the most part, most of us in most situations would be happy to have that conversation. We would look at it as an opportunity to share something that's really important to us with somebody who is not a hunter. Um, That's in those situations. Now I can tell you right now, there's a lot of situations and you hear about them all the time where, you know, someone, it could be a hiker, it could be anything else. I know of some that have happened that involved um, 
people out on trails. I won't necessarily call them hikers. I will just say it was people out walking on a trail. They may have been walking their dog or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they were non-hunters. Beyond that, they were anti-hunters, and they created a a confrontational situation. Those never turn out good for anybody. Um, no. So, you know, I think in those situations, if there's somebody listening and, and you're, you know, you're not a hunter um, or you're an anti-hunter, and if you feel strongly about that, I would just say that that's never a good situation to start an attack. And I want to say start a strong debate. Let's use that. Um, emotions emotions can get elevated quickly, and I'll leave it at that. Um, I have never been placed in that situation. I hope that if I ever did, I would be wise enough just to uh, try to put distance between myself and that situation. Um, I hope that I could. I don't know that I could. I'm, I tend to run a little hot-headed sometimes, but um, I think it's all about how you know how the two come together in that conversation. And in you know hearing yeah. you and hearing what you're you know what the 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 way you've brought it up, I think honestly, I think it'd be a great conversation with just about anybody um, mm-hmm. or anybody that I know. I should say, I you know. Um, as Nick was saying, you know, there's people that just look to fill the freezer. I, I know for a fact that there are a lot of hunters out there that, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's nothing more than, than putting, than going to the grocery store and, and shopping for groceries. I mean, literally, I'm not trying to belittle them. That's just, that's just their, that's what hunting means to them. Um, I think you will find more people in, in the traditional community or maybe even, you know, black powder hunting, those kind of things that the hunt means more. It, 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 it has a deeper meaning than just taking an animal and, and putting horns on the wall or putting meat in the freezer. There's a, there's more of a spiritual, um, thing that goes on. I know it does for me. I mean, I, I, it's just who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, I've let animals walk more than once and it wasn't because they didn't meet some kind of criteria that I'd built up in my mind for they weren't the biggest or the largest or any of that stuff. So it, I'm rambling a little bit here, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it, it's going to be different, but I would say the majority of hunters that you might encounter in that situation, mm-hmm. if you, you know, if you approached in a polite, friendly manner and just struck up a conversation i honestly think you're gonna you're gonna probably have a great conversation with that individual awesome so so it's kind of like read the situation and mm-hmm. what i'm hearing is like let the hunter take the lead and if they seem com- conversational kind of open up the conversation if not they're respecting that moment and yeah all hikers should be able to respect that moment as well and kind of continue on and let that moment be special for them and what it what it is yeah and i and i can even give you some other uh i'll give you another example and we had we just had him on the show there's a gentleman named sean clarkson and he takes several animals every year um and he will never post a picture of that animal on social media what he does post is his hand on that animal and i can tell you that a lot of hunters i know and i'm one of them um, I know Nick's one of them. I know Tom's one of them. When, when we, when we, cause we don't, let me, I should probably rephrase this. 
there's a very high probability if we shoot an animal, we're going to have to go and find that animal. It's it's not like a, a firearm where it you know a lot of times it just drops where it's standing. So you know it may be it may be an hour or more from the time we we shoot to the time we actually reach that animal. Um, and I can tell you to this day, every one, the first thing I do is I walk up and well, I make sure that, you know, the animal has expired. Um, but I'm usually down on one knee and my hand on that animal. And, you know, if somebody walked up and saw that, I would think, you know, they would think, you know, what's going on here long enough to realize that, you know, there's something happening and maybe just stand back and wait until, you know, the person removes, yeah. you know, resumes movement kind of thing. Cause that is a, to me, that's a, a personal and a quiet moment. But again, a non-hunter is not going to know that. So I think the best thing to do is just treat it about like any other situation and maybe, you know, let the person know you're there, but then just strike up a conversation, you know, you know, Hey, that's awesome. Um, you know, tell me, you know, tell me more about this kind of thing. If I'm a non-hunter and honestly, I think you're probably going to get more than you bargained for from, from most hunters. <laughs> yep. That you, that, yeah. And you should be able to read it. Honestly, yeah. I mean, read the individual, read what's going on. Obviously, if somebody's about to stick a knife in, don't run up and go, "Hey!" (laughs) (laughs) Of course (laughs) not. (laughs) But yeah, I was I was more so wondering if there's like a general rule, but it sounds like yeah, it's more yeah, it's kind of like anything. It's a personal moment, and you just read the moment as it comes. I mean, in that person, and you know, for your own safety, if if somebody if somebody gives you a dirty look and might have had a bad encounter or several mm-hmm. or a bad attitude in general you're going to be able to sense it so oh, yeah, i definitely. mean you just give them a wide berth and go on about give them a nod go on about your business I yeah mean, you're going yeah and you're going to see all and i'll give you another example um you know you if if you've ever if you ever watch or decide to watch any outdoor tv and you're watching a hunting show um a lot of times you're going to see you know people pumping their fists in the air and hooting and hollering after they that's not us Uh, Mm -hmm. that's the farthest thing from what i would do um when i when i loose an arrow from my bow i just i don't behave that way some people do i'm not necessarily i won't criticize them i will shake my head and say i don't get it that that that's that's so far removed from my experience when i'm hunting that it's hard for me to relate to it, but it just does at the same time show me there's just, there's different mindsets and there's, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different reasons that people feel, act, behave and do things differently that I can't contemplate, but that's not me. But I still will say that again, with the, you know, with the right approach of, you know, not an aggressive, not a, a, a judgmental kind of approach, just walk up and strike up a conversation. I think the average hunter is going to probably tell you more than you ever want to hear. <laughs> I love that though. That's, that's really cool. I mean, yeah, I was just very, very curious about that instance and what, yeah, as hikers we could do to yeah, share, share that. And if not, if you guys didn't want to share it, how we would move on and what that would look like. So that definitely helps clarify it. Well, and I, I really appreciate the question. I mean, I think when I saw that one, I was like, you know, I've never thought about that, but that's just a, that's a really cool discussion point. And I will tell you this, if you hopped on another hunting podcast next week and asked the same question, you're likely to get a different, some different answers. Um, yeah. I think the common core would come back to being about the same thing though. Yeah. And the same thing, like, yeah, if you guys had another hiker on, a lot of our answers might fluctuate a little bit, but 
a lot of the stuff is yeah built around that same community and it's just different preferences for different moments well ryan i'll be absolutely honest this has flown by and i've had a i've had a blast um I, I really, I know we were talking about this a little bit before we got all the recording stuff worked out, but I'd really like to have you back on again um, down the road. I think there's, there's we haven't touched on half of what you had in your email. And honestly, oh, I know. I'd like to, honestly, I'd like to have a, a, probably a full episode where we just talk about different gear because, you know, a lot of the, a lot yeah. of the gear that hunters use, especially on backcountry hunts, it's tested and proven and kind of has its roots in, in hiking. Um, yeah. So I, I think that would be a great conversation. But if you would, I guess if, if you'd have us again, we'd love to have you on again. Oh, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I would, I would absolutely love it. I mean, like you said, it, it's been really fun. And I'm so curious about like, yeah, because so much of our stuff ties into each other. And then also there's so many individual questions that might be purely focused on the hiker realm or purely focused on the hunter realm that it's been yeah really really fun and yeah the gear wasn't even on my list so that's another thing we could unpack yeah and i think you know there's um i think there's several things with it. I, I don't want to spoil it because typically what i found is whenever i say something on the air that i've got an idea the next thing i know somebody's got a podcast on it but uh <laughs> we'll 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 stay in touch and we'd we'd definitely love to have you back on again um nick anything else you want to you want to plug in here before we wrap up no, I just appreciate the, how respectful you are. That that's oh, really refreshing. Um, not that I've run into that many disrespectful hikers. I haven't run into that many hikers at all, except for the one I scared half to death, and that wasn't really a hiker. That was a do with a do he with. He probably thinks less of you than you do of him <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Barbarian. Yeah, exactly. But no, I just I really appreciate you wanting to come on, and and the level of respect is is just yeah. Thank you. That's. Of course. Really cool. Well, the sad thing is that it is refreshing. It should be more of a norm that people want to know more about the communities that they're sharing a space with. And yeah, I really appreciate you guys as well. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for everybody listening again. Be sure to, ch- I'll leave a, a link to um, Ryan's uh, YouTube channel in the show notes, but it's Hiking America. If you do a search on YouTube, you will find him. Keep the content coming. I'm going to get caught up uh, a little bit better before you ha- we have you on again, Ryan, but we will indeed be reaching out to have you on again. For everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll have another episode for you real soon. Take care, all.